But um, if you got your Bibles, let's uh, go to Romans chapter 7. And if you don't have your Bible, well, good luck finding it. No, hopefully you got your Bible with you. And, uh, but Romans chapter 7, we finished up t- chapter 6 two weeks ago. And of course, last, uh, last Wednesday we had um, West Coast with us, and, and they did a great job, didn't they? And uh, it was a lot of encouragement. Really enjoy. I, I enjoyed spending time with the guys. Very personable. Um, they felt kind of like they were walking on eggshells at first, but we, we loosened them up pretty quick. And uh, they realized they're not, they, they weren't dealing with, uh, with stiff individuals. We, uh, we had fun. We laughed. And before it was all said and done with, Brother Austin, who preached, was picking the French fries off of Libby's plate and eating them. And uh, not, yep, they're at home. Okay. So, um, but, uh, but we, we had a good time with them. And I appreciate them being here, but uh, we are we are now going to pick back up going to Romans seven. I tonight I only plan on getting <clears throat> through verse one to verse number six, and um, two two reasons for that. I know that leaves um, a lot of verses left in the chapter, but uh, two big reasons for that. Romans chapter seven, um, verse one through six is going to deal with something that is going to feel like it's talking about one subject when, honestly, it's actually focused on a whole different matter, okay? So I want to I have time to be able to clarify as we look at that. But then, as you get on to, from verse number 7 all the way through the rest, um, that is where it, Paul begins to deal with the, the struggle that he comprehends what he personally knows the battle of the flesh and the battle of sin in this flesh as a child of God, but yet still dealing with the flesh and understanding, you know, where, where this battle comes from, what, the, what it means to struggle uh, as, a, as a child of God and then struggle with the spirit against the flesh. And, and he brings that up in that whole, um, what seems to be double talk, round around, circle talk, and you're like, I got lost on the second verse there. Um, for, uh, let me just give you an example. Um, for, verse number 15 says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If, I do, if then I do that which I would not, I consent on the law that it is good. And further on down, um, he, he says, um, uh, these are some of my favorite verses. Because it, it feels like double talk, but he's just talking about how frustrating it is dealing with this flesh and dealing with the, natu- the nature of man and, and yet trying to surrender and, and, and be surrendered to God. But he, he, he's talking about the reality of even somebody like Paul and how he understands what it feels like. He says in verse number 19, for the good that I do uh, for good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. It, now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And you're like, what is all this? How in the world? He didn't do it. Sin did it. So it's not his fault. Not my fault. The devil made me do it. Is that what he's saying? You know, and so there's a lot to deal with there. And there's no way I want to even get close to getting into that without just being able to tackle it right away. All right, and, and just deal an entire night just on those seemingly confusing verses. So we're just going to go verse one to verse number six tonight, and, and deal with the the first part portion of the topic here, and understand why Paul uses what he uses in getting his point across. Now, 
you got to comprehend and remember we're going chapter by chapter, but you got to remember the chapter we just came out of. Chapter 6 that we just came out of, Paul is presenting in chapter 6 that you're no longer a servant to sin, but since you are dead to sin, you now have the freedom to be the, the, a chosen, like you made the choice, a indentured servant. You have a chance and a, a choice to make to say, I, I, I am not serving sin. I am not bound to sin. I am not the slave to sin. I can choose to be alive unto God. I can serve righteousness. I can serve my Savior. I don't have to be the servant of sin. I get to choose now to be the servant of Christ. And so he's coming after that, and in the whole understanding, dying to sin. You are dead as Christ died and was buried and rose again. So the baptism we talked about several times is to remind us that because we have given ourselves to Christ, we have through the forgiveness of sins and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have accepted, we have died with him. Therefore, we are dead to sin, but alive unto God. And, uh, and, and so Paul has just finished in, in the breakdown that we would call chapter 6. He has just finished getting into that thought of being dead to something, yet alive to something greater. Dead to the past and alive to a much brighter future in Christ. And, and so we go into chapter 7 with him getting ready to expound a little further to the intellectuals of Rome. And so he is going to now appeal to the intellectual nature of some Jews that are highly intelligent and well-versed in the law of the Jews. And so we come to verse number one of chapter seven. And Paul says here, Now uh, know ye not, brethren, now watch, he, he specifies right here, for I speak to them that know the law. So, know ye not? In other words, are you aware? He, he's, he's fully, he knows that there are highly intellectual individuals. They, they are well-versed in the traditions and the teachings of the law, and many of them hold themselves very proud that they know the law. And so he's kind of playing on this. Hey, uh, you know this, right? Okay. So he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now, I'm going to deal with that a little bit more in just a moment. But he is talking about as long as a man, you know, according to Jewish law, that the law of Moses, the law that they live by, the law that they try to live up to, and they still to this day in Judaism are still trying to live up to the law to be able to be um, approved of God through their works and through their faithfulness to the law, which no man can keep the entire law. And if we, if we offend in one point, we are guilty of all. And so, again, it is a schoolmaster that teaches us. Paul points this out very easily to understand in chapter 7 as well as he has already in the chapters we've already done. 
But he's pointing out here, hey, you know this, you're aware of the law, and you know that by the Jewish law, it is taught and it is believed and it is held to that the law has dominion or control or it, it holds over every man all of its requirements as long as he liveth. Okay? So that is the understanding of the law. One thing I did not do as we got ready to go here into Romans 7, I did not give you the original, the, the background that we see here. Sorry, I got off tar target of what we normally do. So before we go any further with verse 1 through 6, um, let me give you this. The main theme uh, I believe and I find with chapter 7 is the struggle with sin. The reality, <laughs> that struggle with sin. And uh, you find a lot of that as we get further into the chapter uh, Paul makes very clear, as we already said, that he is letting them know everyone, even the best of the best, have to admit they understand how real the struggle is. But he begins to, he wants to explain why that struggle is there. But uh, I believe the, the two key verses that kind of explain the chapter as a whole uh, together would be verse number 12 and verse number 13. It says, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So the law is holy, the commandment's holy, it's just, it's good. And so he goes in and says, verse number 13, was then that which is good, the law, God's instructions, well, that which is good made death unto me, God forbid. In other words, is it bad? Is it wrong? Is it awful? Because the law brought about my understanding of sin. Is it, is it bad? No. And we'll, we'll no, figure out more about that. We'll get into that, um, Lord willing, next Wednesday. But he says, God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin. It is, I, I love this verse, verse number 13. Why, why was the law so, uh, so put that man would understand sin, would be comprehensive of sin, and would know where we stand with sin. Well, the, the reason the law is there to bring the feeling of condemnation on us, it's there that sin might appear to be sin. You can't whitewash it. Just look at God's command. Look at his law. Look at what's required if man's going to please God on his own merits. Well, it's impossible. Look at all this I had to do. There's no way I can do all that. Do, do you know me? It's, God does. He knows every man, and he knows exactly how we are and the fact that, you know, we have to see how hopeless it is. So sin needs to be clearly understood to be sin. So therefore, the law is there to declare it. It goes on in verse number 13, working death in me by that which is good. In other words, The benefit of the law is to educate me on the reality of sin and its final fruit. It works in me the knowledge of death. And it condemns me because there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. We've already read those, those verses before. But he's saying that it worked death in me that uh, by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding 
sinful. What's the purpose of the law? To show us just how awful we are. Well, that seems very unnice, not very, not very kind to, to make us believe how horrible we are. Here's the thing. If we did not come to a realization of how horrible and helpless and pathetic I am, why would I ever think I needed forgiveness? Look at men naturally before they come to a, a, a understanding that they are sinners and they're guilty and they're headed for the punishment it deserves without forgiveness. Look at someone who boasts and brags how good they are. You tell me one person that has not come to their senses and understanding how sinful they are and how bad sin actually is and what that makes them. You, You give me one person that has not come to that realization that has ever turned and said, I really need Jesus. No, now I've I've heard people say, "Oh, I need Jesus." Yet, when all they want, they want somebody to bail them out. They're not looking for forgiveness; they're looking for their get out of jail free card. They're playing monopoly with their life. But we're talking about when somebody comes to the only one who shed his blood for us, the only one who gave his life for us. And the only way someone comes and surrenders all and says, unworthy, I'm unworthy, but will you forgive me and be my Savior? No one comes to the solution without first realizing they're hopeless without it. And so the law reveals a very painful truth, a very hurtful truth. Matter of fact, in today's idea, it reveals a very offensive truth. We are wicked and we deserve hell. But the law in its goodness by revealing what we really are is what draws us to understand who he really is and what he actually did and why it matters. And so the struggle with sin is real, the being the theme there, and then those two verses kind of give a, an understanding of what Paul's trying to bring about to the intellectuals of Rome. And, uh, and so uh, looking again one, once more at one, verse 1 to verse number 6, let me get through this because I, I want to make sure we understand it. So we're dealing with, in verse 1 to verse 6, uh, an overall title there of that section would be released from the law. Now, be careful when to understand we're talking about, yes, being free from law, we are under grace. But that is not a license to sin. It is not to say that the, the um, teachings and the principles of the truth concerning what is in the law are not still applicable to our lives to help us on a daily basis. There are still things about the law given in the Old Testament, and matter of fact, not just the Ten Commandments. We're talking about all that God gave Israel. There are some things that apply only to a particular 
uh, location geographically. That there were some things that applied to them in that area. There are some things that applied to how God wanted them to operate in, in reference of looking forward to what would picture one day what Christ would do and how they were to follow in obedience for the, we talked about this before, the covering of their sin, the covering, but it had to be done every year, fresh and anew, as they were looking forward to the final precious lamb of God that be slain. But again, many of them have rejected that Jesus Christ was, was the Messiah. They're still waiting for that Messiah. And that's why many of them are still following. Why is it the end times? I gotta be careful going into this because I get, I get sidetracked. But going in the end times, why is it that they are gonna do all the sacrifices for the temple again? And all, why are they gonna, they're gonna go back to following every aspect of the Jewish law? Why? Because they're still trying to earn pleasing God. They're still trying to earn their right to have their Messiah. And so they're going to do all, they're going, I mean, look, they are ready. They're, they are getting ready to go back. They're going to go back to full Levitical law, full and entire process of everything down to the animal sacrifices and all that was done. They're going back to it, trying to usher in their Messiah not realizing that without following and understanding what has already taken place, they've already missed him. And so, as, as we are looking at this, understand that Paul is dealing with very intelligent people who are stuck on the law, who are still trying to use the law as a way of justifying how they are and why they're sticking with it, and so Paul is trying to give them an understanding of what the law's purpose is, but yet what it is not any longer for the child of God. And so he presents here the, the idea of being released from the law. Uh, and he talks about, know you not. Hey, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. That is according to Jewish law, according to Jewish teachings. You never get away with it. Until you die, the law will always rule over you. And it will always, no, here's what he's saying, the law in their teachings will always condemn you. Condemn you. Until you die, you're condemned. And that's what he's trying to get across. The law is what shows us our condemnation. It is not what gives us the answer for it. The answer comes through only one, and that is Christ. Uh, verse, so, so it's the appeal to the head knowledge. Uh, Paul is aware of those Jewish intellectuals in Rome, and Paul uses, get this, he uses their own comfort zone to challenge their stubbornness. Okay, you're comfortable with the law? That's, that's where you are. You don't want to leave the law. You want to stay right there in that comfort zone. Let me show you what the law is for one who knows who Christ is. And so he goes into an analogy. And this is where I want you to understand verse 2 to verse number 6. He goes into an analogy and this analogy is based on, remember, he's talking to the intellectuals, the ones who know the law. They know all the written aspects of Jewish law. Again, it's not bad. It's not non-important things, but he is focused on they're stuck on the law. So he's going to give them an analogy from the law to liken it to what it's like being freed from the law and sin to serve God and righteousness. And so watch, he shows them here the analogy, verse number two, down to verse number six. He says, for the woman 
which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. In other words, he is the head of, of the house. He is over her by, by the Jewish law. Again, I'm not saying it's not a principle that he's laying out that still applies, but it is, you have to understand the context of it. He's saying this is based on Jewish law. You're stuck on this, so let's use it. She's stuck to him. She's under his law, his authority, his dominion as long as he lives. So then, verse number three, while her husband liveth, she be, uh, she be, so then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But her husband, uh, if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, now again, now what, you're, what you're seeing here in verse two and three, he is describing to them the rule of law in the Jewish law, the, the Torah, the rule of all that, and he's, he's showing them the rule of law according to your law that you supposedly live by when dealing with marriage. So he, he's trying to remind them of what, you know, most of them at that point, well, yes, we know that, we know that, we know that. Okay, so let me show you how it likened in your law to being free from your law. And so uh, he goes into verse number four, and basically here's what he presents. How can one be in Christ and not disloyal to the law? Because that, that was their fear. How, we can't be disloyal and unfaithful to the law. If we, if we turn to Christ, we're turning our back on the law. And so he's trying to help them understand, uh, okay. So in comes the idea of being dead again, to something so that you can be alive to something else. He's going to now liken dead to sin to being freed from the guilt and the pressures and the oversight of the law for righteousness, and now we are going to be made righteous in Christ, which does not make us disloyal or put down the law. It just makes us dead to that which we were bound to and now free to be to that which matters most. He's, again, he's using the marriage law for the Jews to understand it. So verse number four, he says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, can you see what he's doing here? And I, know, I, I know it sounds, it gets real um, legalese to a degree when you get down to it. But, but what he's saying is, y'all are stuck in the law, so let me use a portion of your law in the area of marriage, and we liken it to what happens when you choose Christ and you receive the forgiveness of sins through Christ. It's as though you were married and you were bound in that marriage, in that bond, to sin and the condemnation of the law. But when you met the one who died for you, you met Christ, the Messiah, and you turned to him in forgiveness, 
knowing that you were once bound to sin and the condemnation of the law, it's as though you now have died to sin. You're dead to it. It is dead to you. Which by your own law would mean that if one of that bond has died, the other is free. So the law and sin is now dead to me. Or you should this way. The, the, the law of sin, okay? Sin itself and the law of condemnation because of it is now dead to me. And I am free from that, that binding, from that marriage. And I can be married to another. Now, even, and you understand, he's trying to give them something they can comprehend. Oh, all right, so I get it. So you're saying we would be, we're, we're the wife, and if the husband die, the, the, the bondage that I had, if you want to call it bondage, <laughs> some people have fun with that, but the bondage I had, the requirement I had to be bound, I am now because, because I, it is dead, it is dead to me, that, that commitment, that binding is now dead, and I'm free to be alive to a new marriage. According even to the Jewish law, that would work. And so they, he's trying to give them something they can wrap their head around to understand you don't have to be subject to trying to live out the law as a sinful individual trying to fulfill the law because the one who did fulfill it died for you. And when you are set free, excuse me, set free by the blood of Jesus Christ and you die to sin and sin dies to you, the power of sin and the condemnation of the law is now dead and I am free to choose another. And to serve another. So again, piggybacking off of chapter 6, I am no longer a slave to sin, but I am dead to it. It is dead to me, and I am free to serve righteousness in my Savior. And, and so Paul is bringing this together in, in this analogy he gives them. But to verse 5 and 6, or I should say verse number 5 and 6, uh, 6a says, uh, gives the idea of being dead to sin and free. Because I'm dead to sin, I'm free from the fruit of sin. Uh, look at verse number 5 and the first half of verse number 6. It says, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, and that, that word motions is dealing with the actions or even uh, the results, the pains, the, the, the agonies of sin in my life which were by the law. So what brings about the agony of sin? Hey, I'm, whew, you'll find out later in this chapter, he's talking about when the law wasn't there, when I did not know any better, man, I was free from the guilt of it all. I didn't know any better. But as soon as I knew better, all of a sudden now, every little thing is just, man, it's painful. It eats me alive. I'm condemned, condemned, condemned. When a person realizes who they are without Christ and they understand sin. Now, people know right and wrong. But when a person comes to an understanding of sin and how I'm guilty of it and I'm doomed because of it. 
Do you understand to know that Christ died for them and they can receive Christ as their Savior to answer that condemnation? To walk away and not accept Christ and now they're fully knowledgeable trying to live with the acceptance of I'll be fine with it, I'll be fine with it. To be fully knowledgeable and to know Christ means that that knowledge is going to bring a sense of constant condemnation, condemnation, con- that's what Paul's saying. We're, I went, before I knew it, I was free. <laughs> before I knew what the law meant about myself, I was free. But here he is, verse number five here, I was in the flesh, the motions or the actions and, and the results of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. That's the kind of life we were living before Christ. That's the kind of misery we were trying to enjoy before Christ. But verse number six says, but now we are delivered from the law. Is that to say that the law that God gave means nothing? Well, no, it's still teaching us. All all the aspects of the law and and the guidance throughout the Old Testament and even what Jesus himself taught over and over again uh, in his time of ministry, he was using the law to teach who we are and what it shows us. And for us to understand he's the only way. But we're delivered from the law. What, What are we delivered from? We're delivered from the condemnation it brings because of our sin. How am I delivered? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm no longer bound. I'm no longer buried under it. I'm no longer chained to it. The condemnation has been removed. And I have freedom to serve the one who gave me freedom. And so he says, hey, we're no longer bound We were once in the flesh. We're no longer bound to the fruit. What is the fruit of of sin? Well, uh, lust when it hath conceived bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Now that's not just talking about basic death, full sin when it, yes, it brings forth uh, uh, death in this life. I mean, it destroys things. Sin destroys and brings death to everything that it touches. It kills a family. It kills jobs. It kills testimonies. It kills churches. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death, but not just death here as we understand it, but it bringeth forth eternal death. If not dealt with, it brings the second death. And that's because when you die in your sin, you die unforgiven of that sin and there's only one punishment or should say one sentence that must be given for that condemnation the last part of verse number six it does say that um, um, deliver from the law that being dead wherein we were held (laughs) boy I was once held like a slave but I'm free from sin and the condemnation of the law Last part, this deals with this thought right here, a new purpose for living and a new way of serving. Why am I free from it? I'm free from it that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What's he saying? They were stuck on the letter of the law. 
I serve God because I have to. I serve God because, you know, if I don't serve him, boy, he's going to strike me down. I serve God because the letter of the law says I must, I must, I must. I cannot miss. I cannot miss. If I miss, I mess up. I'm done. I'm condemned. So I must, I must, I must. And he says, not serving by letter anymore. We serve by newness. What's the newness? I'm no longer serving by the I have to's. I now can serve by the I desire to's. A newness of heart, a newness of purpose, a new way of serving. It's not because I have to or God's going to strike me down. No, I now serve because I love him. Like I said, there's two different motivators. One is fear. I have to, I have to, I have to. One is love. I get to. I get to. I get to. And that's what Paul is saying. You're no longer bound. Just like it is with the whole, whole teachings that y'all live by, supposedly. They didn't do so well. But they live by when it comes to marriage. It's as though you were married to sin. And you are in that bondage. And that bound in that commitment that the law condemned you of. But when you came to Christ, every bit of that died. And once dead, you're free. That's why we have to remain reminding ourselves, I am dead to sin. I am dead to sin. Why? Because if I'm alive to sin, the law now is back to condemning me again. If I'm living under that bondage, then I'm living underneath the condemnation of the law. But I'm not supposed to live under condemnation. I am free in Christ. I need to remind myself, I'm dead to sin, alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. Why? Because I'm not married to that anymore. I'm free. It's dead. It's gone. I'm serving the one who's still living and will never die. That, so much... um, I will say this, and if you go back to Romans six seventeen, you remember how it said, um, dealing with from the heart, it said that they, uh, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. And then over in Ephesians, you don't have to go there, but Ephesians um, uh, chapter six and verse number six talks about doing the will of God from the necessity. No. Doing the will of God because we must. No. It talks about doing the will of God from the heart. That is the new purpose for living. The new way of serving. And that's what Paul is saying. Just a reiterating of it. You're free. Don't be bound by sin. Don't let the idea of the condemnation of the law fall back on and put yourself under an unnecessary thought of, I have to live by the letter of the law. I have to live by the, le- by the way. Oh, oh, I gotta be done. Mm, but this is good. It just hit me. That destroys the idea that you can get saved by Christ and Christ alone, but you gotta make sure you do what you must do in order to keep it. Say what? You mean I get saved by Jesus plus nothing, minus nothing, by Christ and Christ alone, but now I got to work to make sure I keep it. 
Well, Paul just destroyed that. You're no longer bound by the letter for the forgiveness of your iniquities. We don't serve because I have to. We now serve because I want to. I desire to. I love the one I serve. And so therefore, it's no longer service by the letter of the law. I'm not under the condemnation of the law. I am freed to serve him because I love him. Which means the idea of keeping your salvation by works is destroyed. Otherwise, if you get saved by Jesus, that would be doing this. I'm in the bondage of sin under the condemnation of the law. But I was set free by Jesus Christ. And so I am over here and I am set free. But I can't stay here. See, I've got to go back over here. And I've got to make sure that I live by the letter of the law so that I can one day come back over here and say, See, Lord, I earned my way to stay with you. Well, that's stupid. But that's what many believe. I was not saved by my works. I am not kept by my works. And I will not be brought into his presence and made glorified by my works. It is by Christ and Christ alone. Freed from sin. Freed from the condemnation of the law. And made completely free to serve the one who has forgiven me and cleansed me. Not made me perfect yet, but he's sure working on me to make me what I ought to be. And one day there will be full glorification. And again, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. But, um, well, it's been long enough, all right? Took that long to get through six verses. We're in trouble, okay? (laughs) But isn't it nice to know We no longer live under the condemnation of the law, but under the forgiveness of the grace of God. Doesn't mean I can just do whatever I want. I still need to serve him. I still need to be faithful to him. But that does not determine my salvation. That just brings about the reward. We talked about that Sunday. So not going to go there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight.